0: Mac Power Users, episode 426, Workflows with Andy and Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I'm here today. And Katie Floyd was just here a minute ago, but her house
1: got struck by lightning. I'm not kidding. Right, Andy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's the story that you're presenting. And you've been consistent with this story over the past five to 10 minutes. So if this was an elaborate tissue of lies, at least you respect me enough to make it convincing.
0: Yeah, well, in fact, Andy, our guest today, Andy Inotko, welcome to the show, Andy. So happy to have you. How do you think so? Um, so Andy and, and I and Katie were talking, getting the show ready, and she just cut off mid-sentence. And my first thought was, oh, boy, I did it again. I offended Katie, and she hung up and, you know, rage quit the show. But then she texted me and said, no, we just got my house got hit by lightning. So uh, the good news is Katie has not quit the show. The bad news is she her Internet is down. And I guess it was a good strike. Uh, listeners will know that Katie routinely um, goes after me for not having more lightning protection in my house. So let's just set the record straight of our some four hundred and twenty six episodes. The only one that was ever knocked out of the show by lightning was Katie Floyd and not me.
1: It is nice. If, if you're setting up for a pivot to like one of those uh, YouTube channels where lots of things happen or, or reality TV series, the idea of a, a setup of a lightning strike or a setup of some sort of a spat uh, causing a rift in the show. Either of those are good pivot points for the show. So I don't know if you're making a break outside of podcasting for this, but if it is, I'm respecting this. This is very much on point.
0: No, I have what they call a face for radio. This is definitely my medium. But the uh, but we, it is pretty funny. We were literally getting ready to count down to start the show, and Katie got hit by lightning. So whatever that means, Katie's gone. Uh, she is. I talked to her on the phone, so everybody can rest assured her house is not on fire. Katie did not get electrocuted through her headphones. She's all good, uh, but her internet's not working. And as soon as it gets back up and working, we'll get her back in. So hopefully we'll have her before the end of the show. But we're going to start anyway, because we have a very esteemed guest with us mr andy and notco and and andy as you've already been hearing is a is a great uh, funny guy uh, very um active in the mac community forever and we are so overdue to hand have andy back on the show believe it or not the last time we had andy on mac power users was to uh, 2010 how did that happen <laughs> andy uh lack of requests from you to have me
1: on the show oh man you cut me deep brother Well, no, I'm I'm just, I'm just being, I'm, I'm just being honest. I mean, if this is, this is a, this is your podcast and this is an opportunity for you to put your truth out there. Yeah. Well, it's, that is not going to happen again. We're not going to (laughs)
0: wait eight years to get you back. But in the meantime, uh, for those of you that don't know, Andy, he is a regular participant on Mac break weekly. One of the esteemed uh, Mac uh, podcasts. Uh, He has a podcast on relay FM called material, where he talks about all things Android and, and Google, really. I guess it's more just Google than just Android. And um, we're going to talk about that because Andy is a Mac user and an Android phone owner. And I can't wait to talk to you about that. Uh, Andy's a columnist who's regularly writing for publications near and far. Uh, he had a great show over on 5x5 called the Inaco Almanac, which I'd recommend. Even though they're no longer in production, there's some great shows in there that are kind of timeless. And you do a regular bit for Boston Public Radio, too, right?
1: Yeah, they have me on every once every couple of weeks to talk for a half hour about uh, tech in general. Actually, my last my next appearance is going to be uh, this Wednesday as we record uh, Wednesday. Today's the ninth. So the uh, Wednesday, the 11th. Uh, and if you go to org, you can either stream it live on Wednesday or you can just uh, look for Boston Public Radio. Search for my name and it'll probably be there somewhere
0: andy 's always doing little bits for television and other bits i I remember several years ago Andy you did a thing. I forget which channel it was, but they did a a a piece on what to do if your phone gets dropped in the water and you had like a bag of rice and you had a jeweler 's dryer you had a whole bunch of gear there. And um, recently we had a family member who dropped their phone in water and then they sent me the link. They said, well, this guy told me what to do. Like, you know, don't I don't need your advice,
1: David. And I had the pleasure of telling him that guy's a friend of mine. They didn't believe me. So <laughs> well, that, that happens everywhere. That's 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 one. I think that was when I was doing stuff for uh, the CBS morning show um, in New York. Uh, and yeah, but, uh, it's it's they're always like for some reason your friends and your family will trust an expert who is not you because <laughs> because they i don't know whether they have too much history with you uh, uh my uh my dad I uh, used to live about uh, my house was about 15 20 minutes away from uh from my folks and my dad was one that oh no you're not you're, you're not paying to park your car at the airport I'll drive you I'll drive you to Logan I'll drive you to Logan and, and, and it was, and to be, to be, to be fair, it was, it was great because not only was convenient, but it was also, okay, I get to hang up with my dad for a half hour and we, we chat a lot. So I'd be gone for like a, maybe for like a week or something. Uh, they picked me up at the airport and I'd, I'd say, oh, so I know it does a good opportunity to catch up. I said oh I bought a, I bought a new camera. I'm like, Oh, he bought a, I didn't know you were interested in a new camera. I said, Oh yeah, no, I was reading this article by, uh, by David Pogue, learning how to use it. Boy, that guy really knows what he's talking about. I'm like fine, <laughs> thank you. I'll I'll get my David's a friend of mine. I'll, I'll give him I'll give him your phone number. I hope you're very very happy with your new son, David Pogue.
0: Dad, you do realize I pay for my shoes writing about this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, it,
1: it, but isn't it, isn't it weird though? It's like um, a, a lot of my history with my parents was trying to sort of edge them into technology that would help them out, but maybe they weren't ready for so. I would have if, if he had asked me for help, I would have been because his his previous digital camera was like not good and was very, very old and very, very like uh, not even like old as in it cost ten thousand dollars at the time, but it was one of the first semi-affordable cameras. And you know, I have like in my library a bunch of digital cameras he could try out just to see do you like do you like Panasonic? Do you like the uh, Olympus's way of doing things? Uh so he didn't get that opportunity. I remember when his uh his feature phone finally fried. I said, "Well, I, I do have my uh, at at that point, uh, two year old, maybe one year old, like uh, iPhone three, iPhone three G. So if you want, I can just get you up and running today with an iPhone while you're waiting and shopping for a new phone. He didn't want any part of it. The the probably the most uh, the, the most dramatic uh, the the most iconic example of this was." Uh, living so close to my folks, uh, part of the tradition, the Christmas tradition is that since, you know, I don't, uh, since I don't have, you know, the the wife and and four kids, I would come, uh, I would go home and uh, to my parents' house and help them set set up. We buy the Christmas tree together and we decorate and get the whole house done. And so uh, my folks would have that one little electric candle in every window of the house and every every night it was it was this a little adventure for them to like unplug every one of them and plug everyone back one of them in. So finally, I arrived one year with a bag full of X10 controllers, uh, and this this was the before there was real like you know smart home devices. This was more like smart automation where these little boxes that you could plug in to plug your device into like a light into this thing and then plug that to the outlet. It would use the the home wiring as a a communications network to send signals amongst each other. And so set it all up. And I knew I, did, I thought my mom would go for it. Uh, I set them up with a remote and pa- actually simplified it way down. I said, now, mom, so at night, all you have to, when you want to turn the lights on, you just press this button and padunk, and all the lights turn on. And at night and when you're ready to go to bed, you just press this uh, second button, the off button, and it all turns on. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Oh, that's oh, that's love. Oh, that's so much easier. And so I had this other box that I'm like, okay, this, she's okay with this level. And I said, if you want, I can actually set it up so that it will automatically turn off. At sundown, and automatically uh, turn on at sundown, then automatically turn off again, like at eleven p.m. And that was the level which uh, I'm not comfortable with. That (laughs) yeah, their eyes go a little wide, and you realize you need to walk back slowly. (laughs) It was, it was, it was still a win. This is I had to remember this was the generation that was we have to we have to make sure we unplug the TVs if we if we're going on vacation for more than three days, or else the TVs will explode. So yeah, (laughs) I was uh,
0: my mother's generation. I mean, she grew up. She was born in the 20s and i when i think about the fact that people were legitimately using horses for transportation in her hometown of whitensville massachusetts and then she saw the moonshot i feel like in a lot of ways their generation saw a lot more change than we have although i guess maybe anyway um yeah well I, I, x10 man that was the sharp end of the stick you were really there at the beginning with automation <laughs>
1: It was yeah, it was super super fun. Uh, there was uh, I got I got I got. To, this is how these things get more and more complex because it begins with this simple thing like okay let's turn on let's turn a lamp on and off remotely, uh, and then yeah, you buy more stuff because you get more ideas. Uh, eventually, I I got one box I could plug into my Mac so that the not necessary. I wasn't using so much so that the Mac can control things, but so that the Mac could observe things, and uh, and then uh, there was also a. Uh- uh, an apple script controllable uh, analog to digital box i think they called it the adb io it plugged into like apple desktop bus which means that you could uh, all it was was this these the screw terminals you could put wires in and what these wires connected to was whatever you wanted it to be so it wasn't even necessarily controlling power or anything like that it was whatever you can build that the mac could sense be, be sense an on or an off or send an on or an off signal through those two. You could set it up. So I would do things like uh, I had like a motion sensor at the top of the stairs, a motion sensor at the bottom of the stairs, and then another motion sensor near the front door so that it could sense when I left the office, but also, but not be tricked when I'm just you know going to the bathroom or whatever, or shaving or showering, whatever uh, in my home office. It could sense when I was going from upstairs to downstairs because, okay, the upstairs Sense, the upstairs stair sensor was tripped, then the downstairs one. And then if it, it nothing happened after that, it knows that he's probably just making some toast or watching TV. So if there was nothing – so if the computer was idle for a few minutes, it would know that whatever it is that might take five or ten minutes to do, I have time to uh, – the computer has time to do that because I'm probably going to be downstairs for a little while. Like refresh, refresh your email, you know, tidy a desktop, any sort of that simple scripts. And then, but if it also it sensed later on uh, action at the front door and knows that I probably had left, so now when now it will trigger the script to let's do a backup, uh, let's do uh, let's do a rebuild, let's do things that are going to take a long, long time. And if he's and if he doesn't, if there's no front door action followed by indoor action, let's uh, shut down the machine to like conserve power and stuff like that. So. It just goes to show you. It really is. It's not necessarily stuff that you need to do, but once you have the ability to do things, you can just think of. Well, why not do it? It gets, <laughs> it gets silly and fun and makes visitors to your house, after five or ten minutes, think. Yes, this is exactly what I thought your house would be like, Andy.
0: Yeah, it's kind of kind of magical, you know, how things can happen. The uh, and it's interesting when you describe that the logic you were using with X ten and these this Apple script is far more complex than the logic you have available to you today with the general consumer home automation kind of boom we're going through.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, th- it's certainly better because you don't need to do any, uh, any under the hood work. You just, if there's a, if there's a device that's intended to figure out when you're home and when you're not and make useful things happen for you, depending on where you are, there's just a, a a button you push on your phone to connect to a menu action, and then and it gets done. On the other hand, it's nice to have that feeling of control, where I I I know how this works. If this doesn't work, uh, it's my fault, and not only do I have the responsibility of fixing it, but I know how to fix it. So, but uh, that's the leap from the hobbyist to the consumer. Consumers. Don't need to figure these things out. They, quite correctly, all they want to do is they want to jump in their car, turn a key, and get to work in eight to twenty minutes. They don't want to. If they, if it fails to start, they don't want. They don't think. Oh, thank goodness! I've I've a new problem to discover and and symbolize. Because I'm th- I'm so glad for this new opportunity to learn more about how my car works. Whereas a hobbyist is like it's annoying, but it's like okay, I know what I, I know what it probably is. It's one of these three things. And part of my pleasure at engaging in this is going to be to start uh, rooting all that stuff out. Yeah, I, I have
0: a wife and, and two children, so if I get too crazy, they throw me out of the house. But if I lived <laughs> alone, I think I would be completely unhinged with this stuff. I would go crazy with it. So so what What are you doing today with home automation? Are you using any of this stuff today? Are you still with your X10, or have you moved up to the modern stuff? What's your uh No, your uh,
1: yeah, X10 ended a while ago. Uh, it's just not... It, Almost everything you could, it, it, all the support kind of died off for it, uh, and plus, obviously, it was going to get in, eclipsed by a lot smarter and a lot more useful home controllers. Um, I moved house recently uh, after about ten years, and so I, uh, you know that you know that uh, my faith in a certain product or technology has had really died. When I have the box full of all of my old X10 controllers and boxes and stuff. And no, it wasn't even it wasn't even worth taking to the new place just as a box of stuff in the garage that went immediately to the donation box. Uh, but it's uh, it's more interesting now uh, just to have even even on the consumer level of stuff. Now that you uh, there are so many common platforms like uh, the Hue Light platform and the stuff that Nest is doing, uh, it's not it, it's not boring to be able to make sure that lights come on and off exactly when you need them to do, to be able to, uh, I I will admit there have been times when, I know that I left like a light on in the kitchen, but I'm already upstairs. I'm already in bed. I don't want to get out of bed and walk downstairs just to turn off a light. Particularly now that it's an LED light that only consumes like seven watts. Now it's so easy just to simply oh, I forgot to turn off the lights in the in the kitchen, and then just just do a voice command, and suddenly they're all off, and you're still toasty warm underneath your blanket and comforter. But uh, it's, it's there's still so many opportunities to. Uh, take control of that sort of stuff and do really, really silly things. There was uh, in the past uh, 10 years, 10, 15 years, all of these really cool uh, programmable microcontrollers where uh, all of the electronics that would be involved in building something really, really cool is already there in this little microcontroller you can buy for five bucks to 30 bucks. And all you have to do is figure out how to put together the, tiny handful of components and wires to wire into this little controller and then figure out how to program it and these are all like such realizable dreams for you um there is a uh getting back to that uh, adb io box uh which again you you you, it was uh, about the size of a of a a peanut butter and jelly sandwich you had to plug it into the adb port of a mac you had to write uh, apple script for it and i think the box itself cost something something like 170 180 bucks so Like you you had to kind of really want it in order to in order to go out and buy it. Uh, And one of the things I used to do with it is um, I uh, uh, had this uh, Star Wars coin uh, coin operated bank where you it's like a statue of uh, a plastic statue of Darth Vader. You drop a coin in, and it would just uh, it would just like uh, have trip this pressure switch, and then these motors would go up, and it would like do this little like lightsaber pirouette and this impressive, most impressive, but you are not a Jedi yet. They play the, the Star Wars theme. And he starts with the lightsaber. And it, it's very, very easy to take it apart and see where that switch is and simply take those two wires that are supposed to touch together to activate the uh, the, the toy and just wire it into the ADB I/O, and have an Apple script metaf- metaphorically touch those wires together. And now you can just buy like an Arduino board or a Raspberry Pi board uh, or some other controller and so i kind of rebuilt that a few years ago with a uh, uh with a wall-e toy uh, and eve you know the, the the white johnny ive designed <laughs> uh, robot and so and, and so i was able to like to actually take it apart build this little postage stamp sized controller wire it directly into the thing so i can actually trip it by wi-fi anywhere over the network and then you can also now that you have this thing wouldn't it be cool to have it just sort of as a little indicator that when there's a <laughs> when there, when there's a knock on the door or something let's also have the the, the, the eve doll sort of light up and do her little dance uh, and which is crazy and it's stupid and silly but it's fun and it's something that didn't exist at least in my awareness until <laughs> until I decided to spend uh, okay, let, let let's let's be honest. The little controller board costs $8. I probably caught I probably spent about $90 to $100 in failed <laughs> circuits and failed uh, components I didn't need before I got it working, but uh there's it, always fun stuff to do if you're willing to build and you have enough money to lose $8 at a time several times in a row while you learn. Yeah. You know, no, and we're going to talk
0: later in the show about Arduino and I, as I told you before the show, I this is a part of the show that I can't wait to do and part of me is as scared of it because I'm afraid that you're going to like make me spend a bunch of money and time on Arduino because I've been wanting to talk to you about this literally for years on the show. But, but before we get to that, before we get to that, just on the home automation front, there's a bunch of ecosystems now. You know, that's one of the problems is people don't know which one to get into. Um, you are a guest that works in both the world of Android and iPhone and iOS and Mac. Um, which ecosystem did you pick as you're building out your, your modern uh, home automation stuff?
1: Um, I kind of started with uh, Hue stuff and kind of built up from there. The nice thing though is that it's become very, very democratic. It's, uh, it's, it, everyone wants to make sure that you, if you buy a fridge with smart features, you buy their fridge. So they don't want to make the stumbling block. You didn't, you didn't buy our $1,300 refrigerator because you already bought a $100 voice activated speaker that uses one platform, but not the other. Um, and, uh, I, I actually finally made a final decision again when I made the move. It used to be that uh, like the upstairs living area was all about uh, it was all Amazon stuff. And the downstairs area of the kitchen and the office was all Google stuff. Uh, But I felt like, okay, it's time to really make one. And it was it was only because when I was testing, I first tested the Amazon device and then Google came out with theirs. So I had to put it someplace else where I had to sort of be forced to use it uh, instead instead of choosing a device and finally, I wound up choosing the Google device uh, when I moved into this new place. Uh, and it was really because I felt it was smarter. And oddly enough, I kind of liked the voice a lot better. It felt like more like a normal interaction to me. Like, what what did you wind up with? Well, I, I am uh, living the multi lady in a can
0: syndrome. I've got in my uh, home office, I've got a home pod because, you know, I've. Got a show about Mac, so I had to try one out, and I I really like it for that. But then downstairs, we've got the Amazon thing. And I can tell you, it is kind of a little bit of a brain trigger now because... I, I sometimes say call the wrong person when I'm in the wrong room I have to stop and think about it a second so at some point I'll have to pick one I guess but but I do I am relieved to see that a lot of the home automation stuff that you see now coming out supports HomeKit supports um, Amazon support it supports like most of them now are starting to support all the services Apple has opened it up so they don't require a hardware encryption into every device so people uh, can make it easier to put stuff to work with the Apple stuff and and uh, and hopefully this is just a temporary bump in the road. I ideally going forward, you can buy whatever you want and it works with whatever you want. I, I feel like you shouldn't be tied to one phone platform because your light bulbs and uh, and hopefully we get there.
1: Because you're never gonna you're never going to make that. Is there ever going to be this one device that's so cool that you're willing to switch everything in order to get this camera or this microwave oven? I don't think that's ever going to happen. This episode of the Mac
0: Power Users is brought to you by Ulysses, the ultimate writing app for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. Get three months for free. Just go to UlyssesApp.com slash MPU. I'm so pleased to welcome the new sponsor to our show, Ulysses. Ulysses is the writing app that I use every day. I like it so much it's in the dock on my iPad. The reason I find myself using Ulysses all the time is because of the combination of simplicity and power. By simplicity, I mean that Ulysses is an easy application to write in. It's a beautiful design, it won an Apple Design Award in 2016, and it really makes it easy to sit down and move that cursor. While Ulysses does have a lot of tools to help you write, most of them get out of your way when you sit down to do the hard work of writing. Instead, you can just look at that nice clean screen with the excellent typography and interface and just get to work. Because it syncs flawlessly between the Mac, the iPad, and the iPhone, you can work on your words from any platform, and I've moved entirely to Ulysses. I've got a folder full of documents for the law practice. I've also got stuff in there for Max Barkey. And I have these really big projects with all of my field guides. So the text that I'm writing for all the field guides is located right inside Ulysses. I can go in the application at any time and start making changes to my words. And I love that. With Ulysses, you can stay easily organized. It's got nested groups, writing goals, keywords, and filters. And that's what I mean about this being powerful and simple. It's easy to write in, but it has the tools you need. And you can export in all kinds of formats, including plain text, HTML, EPUB, PDF, whatever you want. If you've got WordPress or Medium, Ulysses makes it easy to publish directly to those platforms. Getting my buckets of words into Ulysses was one of the smartest things I did. I'm really happy with that platform to get all my writing done, and I make my living writing words. So why don't you go check it out? When they asked to the sponsor of the show, we asked that they do something special for the Mac Power users, listeners, and the Ulysses gang delivered. Just head over to UlyssesApp.com slash MPU. That's U- dot com slash M-P-U, and you will get three months for free of the Ulysses service. So just sign up for it for three months. It doesn't cost you anything, and see if you like it as much as I do. Thanks again, Ulysses, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users, and gang, go check it out again at UlyssesApp.com slash M-P-U and get yourself that free three months. It's been eight years, and so I'm sure you're using the same Mac you are using eight years ago, right?
1: Uh, I'm still using Macs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a Although, start. <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of weird though that uh, I haven't. I, I used to, uh, the uh, MacBooks and PowerBooks became so powerful that I kind of didn't bother to ever have like a real desktop because, well, this you know this MacBook is good enough for everything. And now I seem to have, uh, I seem to have taken kind of a step back. If anything, I've got more computers that I rely on. I've got a, uh, I've got a Mac Mini that, uh, just from the point of view that I never have to unplug it from anything, <laughs> I can keep every single device that I ever want connected to it connected to it twenty four seven. Now that it's so cheap compared to uh, ten years ago to have these big huge monster displays and have multiple of these displays connected at once. It's like I tried having it having my MacBook as this as this hub on my desk and unplug it and plug it back in and it just it just made more sense just to get a Mac Mini, and now I'm really, really happy with it. It's it's so cool to be able to set something running for hours and and then not worry about the I'm on Twitter and that's going to cause this uh, this big video transcode to suddenly crash after two and a half hours or this live stream that I'm trying to record to to, to screw up. Um, and now it's the it's it's a combination of my Mac Mini, it's it's my MacBook Pro, and it's also uh, my iPad and they're all like jockeying for supremacy and who knows what's going to happen a year from now yeah i remember uh, i think we were at
0: MacWorld together years ago and you had a hard drive failure and it was like yeah that that was was, like your only mac at the time i think and you were really worried
1: it was no it wasn't it just happened at the worst possible time it was i was um I i remember this of course i remember this very very clearly it was the first of only two times that i ever destroyed i've caused a massive failure because of stupidity with how i treat hardware where it was i'd restarted my powerbook it was a powerbook not a macbook that's how long ago it was and i was just i had intended to just slide it uh, like a, f- a few inches towards me on the table, so I could type when it finished when it finished booting up. But it sort of stuck a little bit on the table surface, and like the the, the leading edge, like went up for about an inch, and then slipped from my hands. And we're talking about the it was just a pivot of like one inch, but the but the thing was booting at the time, so it caused such a massive hard drive failure that even drive sailors could not recover it. It was just completely destroyed, and. Okay, it's – you feel dumb for having uh, uh, caused damage like that, but okay, I got – it wasn't necessarily a brand-new MacBook anyway, a PowerBook anyway. I don't like having to spend $1,500 to replace it or – I'm sorry, in this case, like a few hundred dollars to replace the hard drive, but oh, well. The problem was this was – The morning of the first day of Macworld Expo, an entire week, I was giving three talks. All my presentations were (laughs) on the thing. And so I had to not only get my Mac working again, but I think this was also pre-Dropbox. So I had to somehow rebuild all of my presentations from memory. All during that week, so it was uh, it was a way hey hey of a week. Let's just call it that. Yeah, you know it's funny
0: that's because back in those days we did shows on like how to sync your data, and it's so much easier now. I mean, you get a Dropbox account, even iCloud, you can you can have that stuff just show up for you very easily and it's not it's not the end of the world if your computer bites the dust as it was back then
1: it's it's almost gross it it doesn't teach you anything about about consequences the second time i accidentally destroyed my macbook i was in a hotel room almost the exact same situation where it was the morning where I'm, the night before i'm giving a keynote presentation destroyed the thing and after doing a lot of stuff trying to it was clearly a I, It wasn't, uh, oh, it freezes to boot. It's like there was a liquid spill into it that I had not noticed because I'd fallen asleep. And so, no, the thing was definitely dead. And it was, okay, it's it's unfortunate, but you have an obligation to deliver this keynote address. You don't feel like you can really wing it on three or four hours' notice. There was an Apple store literally across the parking lot from the hotel. So right there at 4 a.m. after three hours of failing to get this thing revived, I just (laughs) – had a deep sigh heard, heard heard the invisible you know a uh, disapproving stare from my father behind me <laughs> you know and so just okay two thousand bucks You come to buy picked picked up a brand new macbook at 10 a.m the moment the store opened and it was wonderful because as soon as it not twenty minutes after I got back from the hotel room, I had Keynote reinstalled from uh, from the app from the App Store. I had my presentation restored from Dropbox. I was I was two thousand dollars poorer, but I still it, it was I could at least hide my shame <laughs> because I was still going to be able to give the presentation that, as of eleven p.m. the previous night, I had been working on for about a month. You know, the real the real power
0: tip there is make sure you keep your fonts on your cloud storage, too, because that's the kind of thing you forget about, you know, and you want your fonts, too, if you're going to put your your presentation
1: on. You know, Comic Sans. You think it comes pre-installed on every device, but you oh. get that one presentation <laughs> machine. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> so,
0: if, if, so if today, let's say tomorrow, you're going to go speak at um at you got a TED talk. You know, you're or maybe let's heck with that. WWDC. Tim calls you and says, Andy, you know what? You've been around this this business a, a while. I don't think I'm really up to this. Will you just, you know, lay out the roadmap for Apple. OK, so you, you've got that you've got that gig in the morning and the thing uh, breaks on you. You, you drop. you accidentally on the way to Moscone, or I guess it's the San Jose Convention Center. You accidentally drop your laptop into a um, one of those machines they put the tree limbs into. You know, what I'm talking about where they have the back of track. So so uh, if you had to restore your data, is there anything
1: that you think you would lose at this point or is it all on cloud storage? I don't think there's anything I would lose permanently. Um, most of there's kind of three different levels of my storage. Most of the stuff that, uh, that I'm working on isn't. Uh, I keep it on in a folder on Dropbox because most of that stuff, if someone happens to see it, or if a bad person manages to find it and see it, it's not going to be a life changing event. It's going to be terrible, but it's not going to be a life changing event. Stuff that is personal. Uh, stays on a server in my home office and the, you never forget the rule you never forget the simple observation that when people say the cloud they just mean other people's computers so I always I always assume that if it's on Dropbox I always have that little subconscious thought of what if I have to be okay with a million people seeing this if I'm gonna uh, back this up in Dropbox. So never for tax returns, never for anything that, that significant. But I do have a, a NAS, a network attached storage, uh, a, a Synology uh, on my home network. And really, it, uh, the software that they give you with that, it's so sophisticated that you really, it's really so easy to create a private Dropbox sort of service. Uh, so uh, everything that I do, my computer's already all automatically backed up at least once a day. Uh, if it's uh, on the home Wi-Fi. Uh, So I could be so I'll be able to if in a new situation like that, whatever I can't whatever I need that I can't get from Dropbox, I can just reconnect to my home NAS uh, from California, from wherever in the world and and get that file or even uh, well, I couldn't do a full restore from the uh, from the NAS. But when I get home, I know that I haven't really uh, uh, you haven't lost it. I haven't screwed myself too badly. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's uh, the difficulty with the NAS, of course, is that it's a box inside my house. So if there were a break in or if there were a fire, then I lose everything that's on that box. So there has to be another uh, there has to be another backup. I do. I try to uh, my solution for now is to do a manual backup onto a hard drive. Uh, that's uh, the, uh, There. I have a pair of hard drives that kind of shuttle going in and out of the house so that if there were that big of a disaster, uh, then the NAS would be restored with uh, maybe a loss of one week's worth of stuff at worst. So, but it's a, it's a hard thing to navigate. I, I haven't really figured out uh, how, uh, how, I'd, I'd, how I'd like to do like an eight terabyte network backup into the cloud. So I know there are cloud services that do it yet, do it, but I haven't figured out how I want that to happen yet. So that's a, that's a weakness I know. Yeah, well, I mean, but you've got an offsite.
0: From what you're telling me, you've got two drives you're rotating, which I think is a fine offsite backup.
1: Yeah, but it's not optimal because I have to, I have to remember to do it, and sometimes it will be gone. It'll, it'll I'll be uh, it'll take like two or three weeks for me to refresh a backup, uh, and also it's something that I have to remember to do. The best backup strategy happens whether you're whether you remember to do it or not. But but fortunately, the stuff that I keep on the server. Typ- typically isn't stuff that if stuff that gets gets uh, updated several times a day, projects like that uh, they, they they tend to live elsewhere so i'm I hope that I'm covered but as always, you never f- the only way to figure out the weakness in your backup strategy is to have the sort of disaster that you had not planned on. That's a good exercise, though, for anybody listening to say,
0: well, what what would I be able to restore if that happened to me? And sometimes you'll find a weakness. I, I use Backblaze. Yeah. How do you like it? I love it because, you know, they also back up the attached drive. So I'm putting like six terabytes up there. And I'm, I guess let's put it this way. If everybody that used Backblaze was like me, they would be out of business because uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I just stick a lot of ones and zeros at them. I think a lot of people that pay for the account don't store as much as I do, but it, it works great. And I also like you do the rotating hard drives because they're so cheap. You can go on Amazon and you can get I just bought like a I think it was a five terabyte a USB powered drive by one of the, it was Western digital or one of the reputable vendors. It was like 120 bucks. And you can just dump a bunch of data on that, and then like rotate it with a family member or something. Um, and if uh, if you're using there's a, there's an old app for the Mac called ChronoSync, and it's still in development, and it's a great app for making that kind of backup because you can it can look for changes and do basically an incremental backup every time you plug it in, so you don't have to back up the whole six terabytes. And um, but you know I'm I'm manic about backups. I mean, well because you're because you're smart. <laughs>
1: I like I I, I use SuperDuper um uh, partly because partly because the uh, the person who uh runs it uh Dave Nanning is a re- is a really good friend of mine uh, uh but also because it works the way that I like it to work it's just it will leave you uh, with a a absolute clone of the drive so that worst case scenario you can just boot off this drive and you're back in business you don't even have to do a restore
0: I uh I bought SuperDuper like I don't know over 10 years ago And I keep getting updates and I keep waiting for Dave Nanian to say, you need to give me more money (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, I'm definitely it's another one where I should be paying this guy more money because I use that app all the time. Uh, One of the things you said a few minutes ago that I thought was interesting is you are so you running a Mac mini as an always on Mac which you're getting a lot of benefit out of. And you're also running a NAS drive. And most people I talk to are in one camp or the other. They say, well, a NAS drive is all I need. That's fine. Or if I'm running a Mac mini, it it gives me the always on stuff that people generally get out of a NAS drive. But you're running both. Now, how do
1: do you distinguish those in your brain? The NAS in my brain is a service, whereas the Mac uh, mini is a Mac. So I don't, and I don't necessarily have it on twenty four seven. It's just that it can be on twenty four seven if I want to. Like, I'll, like, uh, like, for instance, my movies. Uh, I, if there's a movie that I like enough that I want to own it, I'll typically buy it on Blu-ray, uh, so I legally own it, and then rip it and then transcode it into something that's useful that for my mobile devices and my, the screen in my living room, and then it will go on the NAS as a, as a video file. So actually, actually that in itself is a good example uh, because the transcoding uh, on the, uh, if I were the transcoding, uh, obviously hugely math intensive, it can take three to four hours. Uh, sometimes the whole process can take uh, before I kind of optimized it, it was about five or six hours. And it's not as though you can't do that in the background, but I, Mentally, I kind of like the idea that I don't want to have to start all over again. I like it having as much CPU bandwidth as it needs. But when it comes time, so that I can then watch that movie whenever I want, wherever I want. It's on the NAS. I use a Plex as a media server. So whether I'm in my bedroom, whether I'm in the living room on the really big, really cool TV, uh, whether I'm getting ready to whether I'm actually like in Chicago or in San Francisco on a business trip and I suddenly want something to uh, to watch for the flight home. Uh, so, as long as I'm connected to a, to a good Wi-Fi, uh, I can stream it uh, from my hotel room, or I can download it uh, directly to uh, to Plex uh, in that device. That's not the sort of thing that I uh, I'd be I kind of instinctively would want to have happen on the Mac, only because I know how I know uh, how hard it is to keep uh, a desktop computer running whereas the NAS is just isn't really designed to be this interactive device it's been optimized to just be a computer that always stays on that always works uh, there's when you download new software for it all of that is optimized for oh you want a backup great we'll set up here's a backup solution that will automatically keep this completely in sync with uh, with a remote uh, backup server or with a USB drive you have here it never it never gets confusing about where you need to what, what software you need to install or how you need to set it up. So, and I don't know, maybe part of it is just complacency. It's a, it's a nice division of labor for me and I haven't seen a need to change it yet. Yeah. And also, I mean, we're geeks.
0: It's, it's fun to play with a NAS and it's fun to play with kind of a Mac mini that you run. right now. Do you run your Mac mini kind of as a iMac replacement? I mean, you run it, you have screens and keyboard
1: and all that stuff attached to it. Yeah, I, I use it as a Mac Mini. Right now I have two screens on, uh, on arms connected to it, a uh, really good uh, like clicky-clacky keyboard, uh, a stack of hard drives, a stack of, uh, of input devices on it. It's uh, Like I said, it's, it's too big of a tangle of stuff to have to take this apart and put it back together again.
0: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Gazelle, the trusted online marketplace for buying and selling used electronics. Do you have a drawer of old Apple gear in your house? I bet you probably do. Most of us do. The thing is, that stuff is just going to become less valuable over time. Why don't you turn it into cash today at Gazelle, where they offer the best value for your device. It's fast, easy, and free to get a custom quote for your gadgets. While you're there, check out the huge inventory of iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, and more. The devices are certified, pre-owned, and affordable. Perfect for you and your loved ones. Recently, as part of my dad duty, I was going through the house and updating all the various Apple devices to the latest updates, and I found in one of my daughter's rooms an iPad mini that was several years old, and it was completely dead. Not only that, it had a very old version of the operating system on it. When I looked into it further, I realized my daughter wasn't using the device at all, and it was really just gathering dust. So I logged onto Gazelle, plugged in the identification for the device, and they offered me a couple hundred bucks for it. I literally had a $200 bill sitting in a drawer in my daughter's room. I clicked OK on Gazelle, they sent me a box, I dropped the device in it, I sent it back to them, and I got some money. Dealing with Gazelle is super easy. All the online quotes are free, it's simple to find your gadget, and the answer is just a few easy questions away. And payments are fast. You get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or direct deposit into your PayPal account. And best of all, you don't have to meet some stranger in a dark alley to exchange gadgets for money. Speaking of children, if you want to get an Apple device for your kids, rather than spend Apple's prices, why don't you look for a certified used device from Gazelle? They rate the condition of the devices right on their websites, and all of their devices have been put through a 30-point inspection process, ensuring that they're in perfect working order. A few years ago, I bought an iPhone Plus that way, and that device is still being used these days by my mother-in-law. So whether you want to give new life to used devices or trade in old devices for cash, visit gazelle.com today, and don't forget to let them know you heard about them from the Mac Power users. Andy, I haven't talked to you for a while about your iPad, but I know at least in the early days, you were getting a
1: lot of work done on your iPad. How are you doing with the iPad these days? Uh, Still a big user. Uh, I think the last time, yeah, obviously the last time I talked to you, actually the iPad was brand new, so I would have been even a bigger freak about the iPad. I still remember not too long after that, I took the big risk where I was going to be in Europe for like uh, almost a whole week in two different cities and also giving a giving a keynote giving a talk and I remember when I just made that big leap to say you know what I'm going to just take my iPad just take my iPad and a Bluetooth keyboard and uh, and, a, and a screen adapter so that I can r- run a presentation from that because I believe that as inconvenient as it can be to use it as a notebook replacement I have thought ahead and I've planned ahead and it, and it worked great and the first time that the first time that, uh, <laughs> the first time that I boarded a plane with just this little tablet, Uh, not just the little tablet, but the tiny, tiny little power supply you need for it. Uh, And oh my goodness, that was such a positive reinforcement psychologically to try to never, ever have to travel with a MacBook ever again. Uh, And, and now that we have the Mac, uh, I got the uh, MacBook pro uh, like i I think I placed the order as soon as they announced it because uh, I knew how much I enjoyed the regular 9.7-inch. And now I, I rarely leave the house with the MacBook. It really is the default choice for me whenever I'm going to leave the house for uh, anywhere from three hours to three days. Uh, you, I have to have a really good reason. These days, I would typically only leave with uh, the MacBook if uh, during my trip I know that I'm going to have to do a podcast with video or um i'm gonna have to do a lot of photo editing uh because not it's not that the mac not that the uh, macbook pro excuse me the uh, ipad pro couldn't do photo editing but it would be difficult for me to clear off enough <laughs> enough storage on the device that i could slurp in like 10 or 15 gigabytes worth of uh, photos and raw uh, that I shot during the day yeah and even
0: now you can buy an ipad pro with i think they go up to 512 gigabytes of storage
1: it's it's really crazy. It's uh, gonna be it's gonna be hard. Fortunately, the one that I bought uh two or three years ago is still ticking along great. It's gonna be such a hard choice whenever I need or want to replace it to not just max the thing out. I think that's one of Apple's problems with the iPad you know, when they talk about how it's not selling that well. It's just that the
0: darn things run forever. I mean, there's really not that much inside to break. And, you know, the uh, original iPads are still in active use out there.
1: Well, you know, you know what? My my first generation iPad, I tried to fire it back up, doesn't work. So I think of the battery must have gotten hosed somehow. And I kind of I kind of have enough affection for it. That I'd like to crack it open and swap out the battery. But yeah, you're right. I I have a contemporary like Windows tablets and Windows devices that uh, are just as just as uh, just as old as that restored carefully and i can't get him going until i <laughs> until i figure out why the damn screen is absolutely dark whereas uh, this 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 uh, this ipad probably partly because it doesn't let me do anything that will screw it up so there's a lack of power there but uh, this this ipad that i keep taking everywhere i go just keeps ticking along keeps working great yeah, it is. If you've never uh, taken a trip, if
0: you're listening to the show, you've never taken a trip with just the iPad and no computer. Uh, I guess I said the way I even said that kind of exposes me, doesn't it? But if you just take the iPad without a traditional computer, it really is kind of um, exhilarating. I
1: don't know how else to explain it. But now, which which iPad Pro did you get? My um, maxed. It was the original, so it was the like twelve point nine inch screen. Um... I quote maxed out the memory quote at the time. uh, So that was 128 gigs. I remember I I felt like I had special license to do that because I had been I couldn't attend the unveiling in San Francisco because I had tickets to just the second episode of the the Stephen Colbert Late Show. And I felt (laughs) I felt like, oh, this is show, this is, this is, no, I'm thinking this is show number two. It's not as though I can't write about the about the new iPad. It's not as though I won't be able to see the video. As a matter of fact, I wound up watching the live stream while waiting in line on the sidewalk outside the Ed Sullivan theater. But the, but the other thought was that how much money would I have spent on this trip between airfare and hotel and incidentals? And it was, it, it was, it felt like it gave me license to just while standing in line, just go out and buy just go out and buy one and all but like $200 of the expense had been covered simply by not by going to New York city instead of going to San Francisco. No, I, I get it.
0: I get it. Well, I still have that. I have that one too. It's I'm looking at it right now. It's, it's on my desk. I, I also bought the 10.5 because I'm nuts last year, but the, um, not now do you, cause you, I mean, you, you pay for your shoes writing. So how do you use
1: the iPad when you, when you take it out or do you use it at home as well? Um, I don't use it at home as much because usually there's the MacBook right there. There's the there's a much more comfortable and more convenient writing tool that's just right there for me. But uh, when I'm out of the house, I usually have I I don't uh, I, I own the that super thin keyboard cover that Apple makes, which is lovely, but I can't really write on it for anything more than just short emails and tweets and stuff like that. So I usually have it in a little bag with my uh, Logitech K811 keyboard. Uh, and a korean-made uh, keyboard stand uh, excuse me a tablet stand that i've never found found the likes of which elsewhere i can only get it find it on ebay but i so it's a, it's, a, it's a little keyboard bag that has the keyboard and that little stand in it and because um my desktop uh word processor is uh, this really great writing app called scrivener for like really big writing projects and they made one of the best. Uh, mobile editions of a desktop app I've ever seen. It's the the version they made for the iPad. So I can just use the same Dropbox file for and use it on, on both devices just fine. A lot of the stuff I write uh, just out of simplicity is a Google Doc, so that makes that trivial too. Um, it's I, I think that Apple has, between Apple and third-party services and the way that the world just seems to have changed a little bit, a lot of the big pains in the butt about using an iPad as a notebook chiefly around how do I get access, how do I get the file that I would need to work on onto this iPad? And how do I find an app that will let me edit it? A lot of that is almost insignificant at this point. So as long as it's in the cloud somewhere, it's really a non-issue. And so long as it's not terribly complicated, it, it'll let me do nearly everything that I would want to do uh, on the on, in the field.
0: Yeah, I feel like uh, Scrivener, we had to wait a long time for it on the I- iPad. But Boy, they, they did deliver the goods when it showed up. You know, They've got one feature in Scrivener that I just love where if you're writing on it and you want the type to get bigger, you know, and as I get older, that becomes more of a thing for me. You just do a pinch on this on the text, which is just a great idea on an interactive device. Say, oh, I want the text bigger. Just use your fingers to make it physically bigger or smaller. And you do it in a text field. I don't know why every every text editor hasn't copied that feature.
1: It seems so obvious. Yeah, they, you can tell that whoever, that the team that wrote this is, they, they they learned how to write with a, it's almost as if this is what they're using. They're eating their own dog food because it's such a writer-focused editor. I just, I've never found anything that is uh, anything like the total solution that this thing is. Yeah, I, I use Ulysses more these days because um it's, it's,
0: it's simpler in a lot of ways but when i do stuff that involves heavy research where i need to like embed like pdfs and word docs and things that's something scrivener does that no other app does which is pretty
1: pretty impressive there's there's nothing better for what i call writing projects for a, when i'm writing just a column or just a like a thousand words two thousand words where when i'm finished with this one document it's done yeah i could i could use pretty much anything but when it comes with something that's going to take me months to research and write uh, an entire book or even just something that's so complicated that i've got a lot of stuff i need to sort of keep track of nothing is close to that
0: but you know and that's the thing about the ipad now is that you can take it with you on a trip or on the road. And um, there's a lot of categories of work you can do just as easily. I mean, from day one, you could handle your email on an iPad almost as easily as you could on a Mac in a lot of ways. Um, But there's more categories of that. And that it seems like that, pool of things you can do with the iPad just keeps growing. Like for Andy, it's getting his writing done in Scrivener. For somebody else, maybe it's using an Excel spreadsheet because Microsoft makes Excel for the iPad now. Um, it just depends on what your thing is. But increasingly, the the number of things you can do versus the things you can't do um, are uh, is growing, which is kind of nice.
1: Yeah. And the things that you can... Uh, Uh, I talked about this when I was uh, writing my piece about Apple's education event, where they uh, introduced the updated version of their cheapest iPad and had now added uh, Apple Pencil support. It's not as though it does, there's enough overlap between what a laptop can do and what the iPad can do that it is very, very credible as a laptop replacement. But the other nice thing is that when you have Apple Pencil support, particularly, the Things that it can do that the laptop doesn't kind of brings it head to head with the laptop. So they don't do the exact same things, but for a lot of people, the uh, the things you can do that is uniquely what you can do with a tablet and not even a convertible device like what you can get with Windows will make it a better buy for them. Like I, I, they're times where i'm taking notes and i really want to do it with a pencil there are times when uh, i I do uh, uh, buy uh, digital comics once a once a week or so and so it's such a pleasure to look at read comics on that huge huge screen and even the ability to like buy a third-party piece of software that'll turn it into an external display for a laptop that's that's a really it's sometimes i feel like I uh, I know how much money I paid for this piece of hardware, and everything that it can do for me makes me like deduct like a uh, th- this 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 feature just just uh, made up for 120 dollars of the expense of this device, and eventually with the, with the, my favorite stuff, it's like you quickly get into no, this is actually metaphorically making money for me, and the ability to when I'm traveling when I'm traveling with the MacBook. I'm traveling with a MacBook because there is a project that's so big that it I don't I know I'm not going to be most comfortable using it, uh, using an iPad for it. But the fact that I have this iPad and I can now have a two screen set up in my hotel room for the week. Yeah, that's that's worth money to me. Yeah, for for less than the cost of an external monitor, really, in a lot of ways.
0: Now, now did you attend the Apple education event? Yeah, uh, I was in Chicago a couple
1: weeks ago for that. Did, now, what did you think of the new iPad? I was really pleased with it. I was also really pleased with Apple's new education strategy. Uh, As far as the hardware went, um, I really think that what I miss seeing in Apple is any sort of a commitment to people who don't have a whole lot of money to spend on computers. So I've always been really disappointed that the price of an entry-level MacBook is the start of the price of a premium-level Windows Notebook. Uh, and yes, you're obviously you're you're everyone's perfectly uh, uh, allowed to make the argument of well, that's a the, the the cheapest MacBook uh, is uh, is going to be good for several years, and a lot of these three hundred dollar uh, Windows notebooks are just terrible. Yeah, but some of them are. Uh, so I'm, but then there are people who just don't have nine hundred dollars to begin with. It's not even and it's not even a, a a discussion point for them. They just don't have the money. And so I was really pleased when they dropped the price of their entry level uh, thirty two gig iPad down to uh 300 bucks last year uh, ideally for education but hey give us another 10 percent, and we'll let normal people uh people outside of education buy too now they've really upgraded it with a, a wonderful like modern iphone 7 cpu the fact that it has pencil support it really to me is the 330 thirty dollar computer for people on a budget that i would have liked to have seen uh in a, in a MacBook years before, uh, and, and granted for most people, they're going to have to get a keyboard with that. So that's going to be another, let's, let's be, let's stick to a budget and let's say that's going to be another 30 or $40 for a halfway decent, uh, Bluetooth keyboard. And there are other going to be other expenses as well, but still as for the, the quality of the product that they're getting and access to the best collection of professional productivity minded mobile apps you can get, that's such a positive thing.
0: Yeah, see, I got to. I wasn't. I wasn't at the event, but over the weekend, I went to the Apple Store and played with the new the new iPad. And I went in there with the uh, kind of a, a chip on my shoulder because I just you know I spent God knows how much money on my iPad Pro, and and I'm like, well, I'll just see how fast this thing can really go. And I started like running videos. I started doing. Um, I went in the uh, the movie app and started like moving clips around. And I was like, I'm sure the frame rate's going to be terrible. And honestly, I could not make the thing slow down for me. It it was a monster. I, I know it doesn't have the same chip as the iPad Pro, but it was keeping up with everything I was throwing at it, which is more than I usually do on an iPad anyway. And um, then, you know, I look at the screen because the screen isn't laminated the way the iPad Pro is. And and you can see that. But for 330 bucks, this is a really powerful computer. I mean, I think I could probably do almost everything I do
1: with just this iPad, if if I was in a jam, I was thinking the same thing. I'm actually uh, Apple's uh, sending me one uh, just on loan to to review, but I am thinking about buying one just to. <laughs> I'm telling myself because I need one. I need one in my permanent library, but also because this might be a, it might be an, a replacement for the iPad Mini that I still like a lot, but wish <laughs> Apple was were continuing to put better processors into and better features into and the ability. And I, got, I have to admit that uh, after staring at this 12.9 inch iPad Pro screen, 9.7 does feel like an iPad mini at this point. So it'll, it'll give me that little extra twidge of uh, uh, of, uh, of portability that maybe I'm missing. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I did the exact same thing when I was uh, uh, getting my demo at the event. Uh, actually the first time I, I i had one in my hands was part of a group demo about uh, school administration and like teaching software on it and meanwhile i wasn't necessarily walking through the demo i was <laughs> i was going to the photos app and trying to like scale trying to scroll much much faster than the thing should be able to scroll and pinching and scrolling and doing all this sort of stuff uh, and it wasn't dropping a single frame it just felt exactly as fast as uh, as my ipad pro uh, so boy was i pleased with it yeah. I, you know, to me, I walked out of there realizing
0: that is my default recommendation going forward. If anybody says I want to get an iPad, I might like, get the $330 one. And then uh, you have to really give me a good reason to recommend getting the more expensive one, because this is just fine. And and with the pencil support, I mean, it, I, uh, I was really impressed. So I... I uh, I think anybody out there listening that like you've got a family member that's looking to get into an iPad they don't need to go crazy that you can get the the lowest end one and be just fine I think
1: yeah and it makes such a nice companion to a desktop Mac or even a desktop Windows machine it's just um you can you can it's okay that's a harder argument because you can actually get really good <laughs> Windows convertibles and Windows tablets for not even that much more money than uh, uh than what you'd be pending for a 9.7-inch iPad at this point. But still, the fact that I I can definitely tempt somebody away from buying a Windows tablet or even a Windows notebook with an iPad shows that I think Apple is really putting a lot of their great, great thought or a lot of their great ambition into it. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier when
0: you were talking about how using the Mac Mini for so much. I, I feel like for a lot of us that, that are kind of iPad road warriors, um, the attraction of an iMac or a Mac Mini with a big display is there because... Uh, you know, you can budget wise, you can make it, you can make the case where I'll get the iMac, which is usually a little less expensive than the MacBook pro or whatever Mac you're looking at, uh, of similar build. And then you get, you add an iPad to it. And for a lot of people, that's good enough.
1: I I, I love the direction that, uh, that tech has taken where it's no longer about, uh, if, uh when both of us were kids when like not only was uh, the only option a desktop computer but it was so expensive that it was the family computer that you could only use it like if none of your brothers and sisters and your mom or your dad didn't need it at that time uh, because it was something that you had a special desk it was a special desk in a special room of the house that everybody had to share now it's completely the opposite where for Probably the exact same amount of money that that a family would have spent on an Apple II system you can have uh, you can have a notebook you can have a desktop and you can have a, a tablet uh, and now that's that's all your stuff and so far from feeling like you've got uh, you haven't really thought things out and you're just buying shiny things because they're shiny I have a I have three different computers that are finely tuned for the specific task I want to throw at it. Uh, I just, uh, uh, okay. admittedly, it would be not terribly difficult to take my MacBook everywhere instead of my iPad. But I think that the iPad is better suited, particularly when I'm traveling, as as the entertainment device, as the note taking device, uh, as the uh, as the desktop device, as a presentation device. Yeah.
0: And it's really it really is a different world, (laughs) I guess, is the way to put it.
1: Uh, Do you use the Apple Pencil much? Not all the time, but when I use it, it's uh, it's really the best thing for it. Uh, I often use it when i'm uh, when I'm in a meeting or a briefing. I kind of like taking notes with the pencil over the keyboard because I don't know that uh, that these aren't thoughts coming out of my head. I'm writing down things that are being told to me. So I never know. it's uh, it's once I I never know when I want to go back and add a note to something else or just add a double star next to something because, oh, I I thought that was just a piece of trivia. But that's actually turning out to be hugely, hugely important. Uh, I do a lot of drawing with it uh, just uh, for fun, but also sometimes because that's the easiest way to communicate an idea to somebody. So it's not as though I use it all the time, but it really is the best tool for the job when I need it. Definitely worth a hundred bucks to me. Did you get the hands on with the new, um, I, I want to call it the crayon? yeah? Yeah, the Logitech. Um, no, not at the, not at the time. Um, I got information about it like secondhand over the phone. Uh, it looks It looks like it's part of Apple's uh, sincere desire to make a difference, to actually have an impact in education, which is something that hasn't been prominently true for a few years now. And the, the fact that it there there's so much that you have to do to make something work for the education market. And let's not forget that this is – I don't think you can even buy it unless you are buying it through the educational channel. So it's not something you can just – Ah, uh, get through B&H Photo or something like that. So um, it's a crayon. So be, so that it will it doesn't do pressure sensitivity, which will make it less expensive. It does do like edge support, so you can do you know shade things with the side of it. So that works fine. Uh, it doesn't work via Bluetooth which partly is a cost saving measure but partly be i think mostly because bluetooth is a problem inside education so many schools just don't want uh, their devices to require bluetooth because if you have bluetooth in the room you have the ability for kids to cheat with each other by communicating so i don't, so it's uh, it's it's nice and f- i saw a lot of people A lot of of the commentary afterward was about how, well, well, this is only, such and such is only 10 bucks or 20 bucks less, or this isn't really a very big discount, Uh, and $50 off the, uh, for uh, for a, a, a writing device, that is actually a significant amount of money, but... Keep in mind that this isn't one person buying one device. This is a school system buying hundreds or maybe even thousands of it. So you don't have to buy very many copies of something at a $10 or $20 discount before suddenly you essentially are getting a free, another one, another iPad out of it. Yeah. And
0: as I understand it, one of the benefits is, is because there's no Bluetooth, it, actually the pairing process, you can pair it with, and it's not going to be as difficult for the kids to pair it as they get a handful of them distributed across the room well that's uh i'm glad to hear you're still using the ipad and and getting even more out of it i I feel like last year apple really upped their game with the ios operating system for ipad i hope they continue this year i hope we continue to see progress of some sort because for me that last year was a a a big change uh, and a big increase in my ability to use the ipad remotely
1: yeah there it's I don't want to be, I want to turn this uh, into a downer, but it really does show you what, what happens when Apple is truly excited about a product, truly excited about a platform where they know that this is where, this is where we're putting our future. Compare and contrast this to what's happened, what's, was happening in the Mac, not in the last year, but the last five years. And it's, I have to, I have to admit that I don't think that Apple is, has a plan to cancel out on the Mac. I don't fully, I, I'm not willing to bet that they don't. I would just like to see them show any real interest in actually making a great Mac again and making a, a, a great update to Mac OS again. I just don't see that happening anytime really, really soon. Yeah, the, the focus of
0: the company certainly is on iOS lately. I mean, I'm, uh, but uh, that's probably a whole nother segment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Eero has created the dream Wi-Fi setup, a fast, reliable connection throughout your house and even in the backyard. And now is the best time to get on board with Eero because they've just released the new super slick second-generation devices. Eero has now introduced their tri-band second-generation model along with the Eero Beacon. This allows you to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. The second-generation Eero includes a third 5 GHz radio, making it twice as fast as before. This lets you do more than ever. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs are, Eero has the power to blanket your entire house in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. Eero will sit on any flat surface. Just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you're ready to connect your Eero with either Ethernet or wirelessly. The new Eero includes a new thread radio, which lets you connect to low-power devices like locks, doorbells, and more. And Eero is introducing the all-new Eero Beacon as well. Just plug it into the wall and expand coverage into any room. You can add as many Eero Beacons as you want, so long as you have an Eero device. And it even includes a built-in LED nightlight with ambient light system. The Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand, and you can easily create and share a guest Wi-Fi network, too. And Eero customer support is amazing. You can just call and get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert in as little as 30 seconds. I'm someone who's tried everything to get good Wi-Fi coverage in my home. I've tried power over Ethernet. I've tried adapters. I've tried repeaters. I've tried wire. I have not tried anything that has worked as well and as painlessly as the Eero system. If you've got coverage problems or if you're just looking for Wi-Fi that works, it's really time that you give Eero a try. The new Eero system starts at $3.99 for a second-generation Eero and two Beacons, and it's everything that you need to get started. And listeners of this show can get free overnight shipping to the U.S. or Canada when you head over to Eero.com and use the promo code MPU. That's Eero.com with the promo code MPU for free overnight shipping. And think about that. You could have better Wi-Fi tomorrow. So thanks, Eero, for their kind support of the show.
0: So, Andy, um... The one thing that you do that is unusual for guests on Mac power users
1: is you are using an Android phone. How's that going? It's going great. Um, I made the switch, I think, 2013, like five years ago. And uh, it really uh, it really was just because I, as a tech journalist, I get a chance to use every phone that comes out. And I just found myself kind of putting the latest Android phone back in the box and mailing it back to the manufacturer every month or two with increasing levels of regret. And I found myself returning to my own iPhone, missing more and more features of of Android. Uh, Google certainly took its time to fix androids problems and figure out where they wanted to go for it but uh, it's like looking for your car keys uh, you're embarrassed while you <laughs> keep pat- they spent a lot of years padding their pockets but once they found them boy did they take off on of the driveway uh, peeling rubber it's a uh, It's. I I still really really like it I like the I like the hardware I like the way that uh, the android operating system works on mobile um I don't think the iOS on the iPhone is bad at all I just never I still just don't like how understated it can be. Uh, and I like the variety of stuff you can do with Android that you can't do with uh, iOS on the on the phone. Yeah, you know, I, I spend time on Android
0: devices, too, because I do this show and I don't want to seem silly like somebody who doesn't know anything about what other people are doing. And it's like the takeaway I always get from it is is Google is definitely more willing to explore, kind of like almost like a, a traditional computer operating system where you want to change your default apps, you can do that. And a, a lot of the stuff that us folks on the iPhone side kind of pine away for is probably there in Android. Um, but, the you know, the, the flip side of it is you don't get kind of that walled garden effect, which is pretty nice, too. And uh, I totally understand why you would want to to switch over. Have you ever been
1: tempted to come back to iPhone? A little bit. I have to admit that the iPhone 10 uh, with the uh, with the uh, face unlock feature, uh, the cameras are always really, really nice. But eh, I'm still far away from making that step, I think. See, for me, that's the thing that keeps me on the
0: iPhone. It's just that Apple solves so many problems. And, you know, um, it's easy to make fun of the fruit company once in a while. But the fact is, when they really do put their head down on something, they usually do make the right decisions. And they do make it super easy for people, you know, to get great stuff out of their phone. I was just looking at my uh, my sister, who's now a, a grandmother. That's kind of weird when you're suddenly <laughs> as a grandparent. But she uh, she's taking all these pictures of her grandbaby, and she does it with the um, the feature, and now uh, everybody on the internet's gonna be mad at me. I forget the name of it, it's the feature, live photos, you know, live photos. Live photos with little kids is just delightful. We She takes these amazing pictures with her iPhone, and I see the live photos, and then she puts the um, portrait effect into place. And I guarantee you, she would not be able to do that if you gave her a normal camera or even a even a phone that has those features that take a little bit of fiddling. But because Apple makes it so simple, she's getting some amazing pictures.
1: Yeah, well, that's been one of the great equalizers, too. Um, I think the presence of Android forces Apple to up their game and vice versa. And I, you def- particularly over the past few years, you definitely see the Results of uh, developers at uh, at Google and other hardware makers trying to make sure that the phone exp- that the camera experience is just as good as what you get um, uh, with the uh, with the iPhone. Uh, I think the, the the photo quality is definitely definitely up there. Uh, one thing that they had a they had to work very very hard to achieve was just getting it to work as fast uh, and be as responsive uh, as uh, as the cameras on an iPhone. Uh, and they still haven't gotten the the, the library of uh, photo software from th- uh, third parties as engaged as uh, as what it is on the iPhone. But it's you never know what little feature it's going to be that kind of turns people around. I don't I don't like Live Photos. I just it's uh, I think it's gimmicky, uh, and it's the sort of thing that uh, I just kind of stop using after a couple of weeks. <laughs> where you you start off by turning off the default. And then you wind up forgetting to turn it on, even in instances where that would be a cool thing to turn on. So, but th- there are going to be other people for whom this is the feature that they would never ever want to do without. Uh, for me on Android, I love the way that it handles panoramas, uh, and I love the way that it does uh, HDR. I think that both of those are those are two things that I would definitely miss going back to uh, going back to the iPhone. Uh, and the, uh, I like the idea of people being able to make those choices for themselves uh, and having a, two different vibrant uh, <laughs> makers trying to come up with different ideas and pushing each other forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, the one thing that's true is that if, if we didn't have both ecosystems, we didn't have both operating systems, uh, ne- the the surviving one wouldn't be as good because they definitely are pushing each other. But uh, uh, th- those live photos, I was going to say, my, with my kids, if I have live photos, turns on, they're teenagers. So I just get them rolling their eyes at me as I'm taking their pictures, <laughs> which is no fun. But with little kids, the live photos is amazing. Um, but we're on the subject of cameras. And I you cannot come on Mac Power Users without talking about camera gear. Because for those that don't know, Andy is a, I don't know, are you, do we call you an amateur photographer? Or are you a professional at this point? I mean, you
1: really are a, a, a remarkable photographer. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm not a professional. I uh, I am pleased and shocked <laughs> that uh, a few times a year uh, I get offered money for photos. <laughs> so, but I don't want to, I don't want to call myself a photographer. Let's say, let's say a very uh, ambitious amateur, let's say. Yeah. But, but you go to like the comic cons and the, um, and I guess roller derby. You're, you,
0: you go to events and, and publish your photos, which are always fun to look at.
1: Yeah. Well, it's great because it it's no fun to. Just do something that uh, you're already capable of doing. And so when you find it, you know that you're uh, that a certain activity is really engaging you when your reaction is, my God, my in this case, my God, my photos suck. I can't wait to do it again so I can do figure out how to do it better because uh, it's how many people have taken piano lessons and after a year they're like, I still suck. I hate this. I don't, I want to stop doing it as opposed to, I want to figure out what I'm doing wrong and acquire this skill. Um, I got, uh, after, uh, so, uh, roller derby is one of the things that, uh, it turns out I, I'm getting paid for, uh, for the, uh, Providence roller derby. Um, actually I was, the, I was the event photographer, uh, for their double header Saturday night. And, again it was just so wonderful to be taking pictures that are in my eye substandard and working out the reasons why that was and how to fix it and when you realize that this is probably i don't know maybe my 10th or 12th uh roller derby bout that i would uh, that i I'd, uh, I'd shot and realize that number one whereas uh, they're the thinking back to the first or second time that I photographed one of these things and how rare it was that I got a picture that was even worth sharing with anybody. And now it's a question of, uh, again, I can't say whether I'm any good at this or not, but now that it's a question of um, making the good photos even better. And even after having taken, at this point, thousands of pictures at these events, it was not until like the last, 45 minutes of a four hour event that I really figured I I I felt as though I'd figured out something brand new that I hadn't realized before that I feel as though it was now going to be the focus of everything that I think of when I shoot these events in the future, because uh, all knowledge and experience tends to be cumulative. You're just building yourself levels that you then can climb upon to reach the next level uh, towards uh, not uh, artistic greatness necessarily, but towards being more pleased with yourself and pleased with the work that you're doing. And I felt as though I'd now shot enough photos at these events that I can now focus uh, my attention on being more present as a, instead of sp- seeing instead of being able to s- anticipate there's going to be a lot of action at this point in the track in 4 seconds so i'm going to be ready for that and shoot like a sequence of 12 photos from there and make sure the and the exposure will be okay the color will be okay and the fo- and it'll be sharp now it's more like i feel as though i've figured uh, out enough stuff that now I can say I'm not going to take a blast of 20 photos I am going to be completely present watching this stuff unfold through the camera lens and squeeze the trigger when I've got a really good photo in front of me and no doubt the next time I shoot it's going to be uh, a new uh, cavalcade of frustration (laughs) applying this lesson but once I once I get more experience in implementing that lesson boy I'm going to be so much more pleased with what I can do so that's that's it's it's about growth so instead
0: of motorcycle maintenance it's in in the art of roller derby photography
1: <laughs> it really it really was that it was like being a a sniper as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to bursting into uh bursting into a building you know spraying bullets everywhere it's more like it's it's about i have to get my i have to get my pulse rate down i have to clear my mind i have to I have to yes. There's a lot of data coming in, but I have to be aware of the data as opposed to observing the data, and gently squeeze the trigger between heartbeats and between breaths. So,
0: so the camera technology has turned upside down like three or four times since the last time you were on Mac Power Users. What what is your current uh, gear of choice for shooting pictures
1: other than your phone? Uh, my I'm still deeply deeply in love with the camera I bought three four years ago, the Olympus OMD EM one. Uh, now I have to say Mark One because they've uh, came up with a big upgrade to it last year. This was the first time. This was my first, what you would call a pro camera. All my cameras before then had been pocket cameras or consumer cameras, and I was really, really determined. Having seen, having seen other people that like to solve, think that they're going to solve problems and become better photographers by spending more money on more equipment. I'm like, no, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to buy the, 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 the this camera. You, you needed, you need a new camera. Okay. You're going to buy the $600 pocket camera. Still not, still not cheap, but you're only going to buy a better camera than this. When you feel as though you have exhausted everything that you can do with this one camera. And, and, and it finally got, to, I, I oh. finally became comfortable buying a pretty expensive professional level camera even though this is not an expensive pro level camera it's almost the entry level of professional but i did sort of gulp <laughs> before i clicked the buy it now button on uh, on amazon uh, and not only that but being able to get uh pro quality lenses uh and this is the sort of stuff that i decided that i needed to take to get the pictures I wanted from the places that, uh, like again, like uh, like uh, uh, Comic Cons and uh, sports events. This it felt as though I'd exhausted what I could do with consumer grade lenses, and boy, do I love this thing! It was so, and it also gave me a lot of insight into things that I had been doing wrong—not with photography, but. Uh, <laughs> rabbit holes. I didn't want to come fall down again the next time that I review cameras and stuff like that, because it was such a, it was such a long pro I knew how much money I was going to have to spend on I, how much money I'd budgeted on this. It wasn't, again, it wasn't like a uh, professional sports photographer, uh, quality stuff. But it was still, again, more money than I've ever spent on a camera easily. So I was really determined not to screw it up and not be unhappy with that purchase. And so you get you dig so deeply into technical specs. And let me see this reviewer that has uh, let you see side by side, compare any six cameras side by side at every ISO, every light sensitivity, at every level of like pixelarity. And I was just getting myself into a deeper and deeper hole and finally had to kind of go with my instincts and it turned out that uh, even though the olympus certainly was outperformed in a lot of tests by a lot of things that a lot of people had written it was absolutely the right camera for me and chiefly because of the way it was built chiefly the way that it, the way it was the, the way it handled um that that moment that kind of decided for me that i need to stop and make a choice it really came down to realizing that i think it was between like a fuji camera and a sony and this olympus and what i liked about the olympus was that It had lots of buttons and lots of dials and lots of physical controls, whereas so much of what you do with the Sony, you have to get into a menu in order to do. And I kind of knew that that would frustrate the hell out of me. And I just and it's so wonderful, no matter what camera you buy, when you get enough experience with it, that you feel as though you know exactly what this camera can do under every circumstance and you know how to make it give you the picture that you want to get out of it. And. Also, when you get so familiar with this controls that you don't have to think about what button do I have to push? What control do I have to turn? It really is. Uh, I'm now shooting fully manual almost all the time now because I'm so familiar with this camera that it's very, very easy for me to select uh, uh, aperture and sp- shutter speed on the fly because I know the computer inside this camera is going to tell me what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. I can just again, be present as I'm taking the picture, as opposed to being a manager of camera software. Yeah. So the because the Olympus is so well metered, you can like, you can
0: decide, I want this to be a wide aperture shot and it, it'll help you dial in the rest of it pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. And this is, these are features that are on a lot of cameras, like particularly uh, the, the idea of a live, uh, a live histogram, which is just incredible. It's, it's like every guess that, every worry that you might've had about what, the final picture is going to look like or what what your manipulation of these settings is doing to your pictures you can get a pretty good hunch of what you're doing just by looking at that and looking at that histogram and see what it's what's doing Like, did what, what camera do you shoot with well you know it's funny i have gone the opposite
0: direction i have for the olympus my uh my daughter took it over from me because you know as kids do and i decided at the time that the the iPhone is getting good enough for me i i don't shoot you know live sporting events so uh, I have gone the opposite route. I've bought some lens some nice lenses for it. I got some moment lenses and I have a nice tripod mount. So I, I have spent a little bit of money making my iPhone photography better, but I go all iPhone. And actually, that was going to be my next question for you. For, for folks listening that, that are into photography, but just shooting with their phones that get increasingly better every year, um, what would be your advice? You know, at what point do you start thinking about upgrading to something like an Olympus or a, a good micro four thirds camera?
1: It really does come with the sense that there are limitations that are now hardware based that I can't get past. There are pictures that I really would like to be able to take that I can't take with this, uh, with whatever uh, phone or whatever camera that I'm using right now. Like uh, for me, it really was uh, how do you solve low light problems? And there, if you're, there are ways to shoot really well in low light with a phone, but it's just not equipped to do low light stuff. It can uh, it can mask a lot of problems, but it can't solve them. Yeah. You still got the laws of physics. You know, they still exist. <laughs> exactly. And taking, taking pictures inside. Uh, I'm not even talking about sports. I'm talking about just I want to take really good pictures of these beautiful costumes at Comic Cons. And often the event spaces, they're not well lit. They're not really, really beautiful and these people are posing so they're holding rock steady rock you know they're not moving around and even then it's really hard to get the the, the pictures that i wanted to get and again even with a the phone there's there are ways around that most of them involve changing the kind of picture you want to get like um uh Oftentimes, it, uh, the New York Comic Con is uh, in October, and oftentimes uh, Apple will send me the, uh, re- the, my review unit of the new iPhone like a week before then. So that becomes part of the testing. So often I will have this really nice Olympus camera like at my hip, but I will also be taking a lot of portraits <laughs> with the iPhone because A, I want to see what this camera can do, and also I want to have uh, fun. And just by buying a 20 or $30 LED light and using that just sort of as an off-camera like fill light, uh, will fix so much stuff. But as I was coming home and going through these hundreds and hundreds of pictures and saying, ah, dang, that's it's, it's in focus, but it's not really sharp. And Oh God, the colors of this costume just don't really pop because of the high ISOs or because, uh, or the, this, the exposure on this is really, really weird because, um, the, I have a consumer grade, uh, uh, telephoto lens, where if you're at the wide angle, it lets in a lot of light. Uh, if you if you're using it in uh, various forms of zoom, then the minimum uh, the, the the widest aperture changes. So now it's it's twice as dark when you've got it in zoom mode than in light mode. And now the shutter speed has to change to compensate. So now the shutter speed isn't quite right, or the ISO isn't quite right. And that was sort of stuff that was getting me kind of frustrated. Uh, and that's what kind of really drove me. It was this realization that no, my tech, my technique was not good. I couldn't change my technique to fix this. I really do need uh new hardware to fix this. Also combined that with the fact that again, I've haven't, I hadn't bought a new camera in years and years and years. So it's not like I was making a habit of just buying new hardware. And also that I would be getting so much more on top of just, uh, solving these uh, immediate problems like a brand new image sensor that my previous camera of the sensor was at that point like seven or eight years old uh, and to say nothing of the fact that uh, one of the things that really drew me to this olympus was that when this was this was olympus's not they weren't just trying to make a successful product and it is a successful product but they weren't just trying to do that this was their attempt to convince wedding photographers and sports photographers to make the change from these full frame or uh, uh, two thirds sensors, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, APS size sensors that are on that were in most like Nikon and camera, uh, Canon uh, cameras that no, no, we, we can build you a camera that is absolutely everything you want it to be not only in picture quality, but also durability. And so this thing is built like a tank and it's fully waterproof. And at this point, Uh, i have dropped that camera body like on the sidewalk once or twice and uh, always it's an accident it wasn't wasn't like carelessness was just an accident but now it's like i the second time i picked it up it was with the expectation that it would be perfectly fine as opposed to let's hope it still works yeah you didn't have your breath held the second time oh yeah exactly (laughs) And, and, and and even just simple things like uh not having to if i'm 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 taking a, a long, long walk in an unfamiliar city and I've got my camera because I want to take pictures and it starts raining. And do I have to suddenly take things out of my laptop bag to get my camera in there and hope it doesn't get soaked through? No, because this is the Olympus OM-D EM-1. It can, <laughs> it can rain, will just absolutely not present any problems to it whatsoever. I don't even think about it anymore. I just sort of like shake it dry <laughs> before I take the next picture. So that's that. that all, all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm reading to you the list of stuff I read to myself <laughs> while convincing myself before, uh, before actually buying this stuff. And it's like, like we were talking about before about how every feature of a really good piece of technology, it's like you're taking, okay, that was worth $80. That was worth $110 of the price. And it was very, very – this thing, this Olympus camera just quickly made me forget about every penny I spent on it because every penny I spent was absolutely worth it.
2: This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Text Expander. Multiply your team productivity and head over to Textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. Text Expander is the tool that will let you multiply your and your team's productivity by making up to date, shared knowledge available instantly to everyone who needs it. With Text Expander, you can create custom snippets that will expand across your entire team and use all of your team's shared knowledge to the best benefit of everyone involved. Using Text Expander for team, all of your comments responses are accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. And best of all, they can be written and edited by your best writers. They're available on multiple platforms, including macOS, iOS, Windows, and the web. And they can be updated immediately, everywhere, whenever. So when you decide to roll out a change, there's no sending out emails. There's no updating support documentation. Just stick it in TextExpander and everybody's got it. If you're on a support or sales team, or if you're in the legal, medical, or real estate area, TextExpander will change your life, leaving you more time to focus on what you do best. If you're looking for ways that you can implement Text Expander in your group, look no further than the Text Expander blog. Head over to TextExpander.com and you'll get some great ideas on how you can incorporate Text Expander in your team. So here are just a few of the latest entries from their blog. For example, Text Expander tips for windows. How to type accurately using autocorrect snippets as your spell checker. I use that one a lot. The ultimate recruiting starter kit, seven snippets for hiring managers and communications. And make consistent blog content using outlines and Text Expander. You can find these tips and a whole lot more by heading over to TextExpander.com slash podcast. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for TextExpander and take advantage of 20% off your first year. So to learn more, head over to TextExpander.com slash podcast. And thanks, TextExpander, for your continued support of the show.
0: So, gang, before we get started, just to report in Katie Floyd has messaged me. She's fine. Like I said, she's, <laughs> the lightning is continuing to strike. She, her, her internet is still down. So not only can she not be on the show, she can't stay home and goof off on the internet at the same time. So I feel bad for her, and uh, she'll be back next week. But I, it looks to me like we're not going to get her this week. And uh, and this last segment, Andy, is the one that I've been wanting to talk to you about for a long time. Uh, Andy has, uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, Andy occasionally gives talks on these Arduinos. And uh, this kind of automation technology, like he said earlier in the show, he had automated his Eve robot. And this is something that has always been on my periphery. It's something I'm interested in, but intentionally kind of staying away from. But I think I got to take one for the team and and have you just explain it to us. Andy, tell us about
1: this automation stuff you're doing. Uh, It's so super fun. Um, I I do go all the way back to um, the Apple II. And what makes me – I don't want to use the word nostalgic because I don't like the word – I don't like nostalgia. But one of the things I miss about it compared to even everything that's wonderful about modern computers is that that was probably the last computer that I used on a daily basis where I felt like I understood everything that's going on inside this thing. Not only do I understand all the software – but you can pop the top off, and all the ice, all the integrated circuits are socketed, so you can pull them out and replace them. And you know what each of these little chips do. Uh, and you felt like it's uh, they were a lot more problematic than a modern uh, modern Mac for sure. But you miss that sort of level of understanding what's going on inside these things.
0: Yeah, and even back then we would write assembly code. I mean, we would write to the metal, I guess, as they say.
1: Oh yeah because uh, uh, basic the uh, Applesoft basic would give you like graphics routines but they're not fast enough for you eventually and you figure out oh well I can mean that I can actually just like put a number in this location in memory and this location in memory actually represents a dot on the screen so I can just write directly to the screen awesome and then all the other kids and you're like applesoft basic (laughs) class in school that you're forced to take don't understand why your bouncing ball has no flicker and it's just rocketing to and fro and the ones that they're the ones that they're doing with applesoft is like one frame every three seconds and then then you know real power it's like it's like kind of like
0: cars right i mean like there was a time when you could open your car and do a lot of work to it and these days you can't i feel it's the same way with computers
1: yeah and you I'm not saying that we should uh, go back to the uh, go back to the days of the uh, uh, carburetors and no no power no power assistance or anything like that it's all been in the aid of making a better product but nonetheless I think you lose a little something if you don't have the, if the people who have an interest in learning how something works and making it work better, don't have that ability or don't have that power. And that's something that I think is missing in modern computers. Uh, And I think that's why the, the maker movement, uh, this, the sort of culture of people who just want to make things themselves, have their own ideas and not have to take, uh, not, not have to get an undergrad level degree in electrical engineering to make things that are powered by computers. Uh, make those ideas and give them reality uh and i'm doing a lot of i started stuff with uh, this platform called uh, arduino which uh you and a lot of your listeners i'm sure have heard about it's um, it's hard to explain generically it's uh, what it what it is is it's a little board that has its own like little uh own little processor on it and the ability to and little like uh <laughs> little pads on it that you can solder solder wires onto so it can talk to sensors and talk to motors uh, and talk to pretty much anything that you want to interface to it and what makes it really cool is that uh, you can develop code it uses its own development system but it's kind of, it'll be familiar to anybody who's programmed before and if you haven't programmed before it's fairly easy to pick up and not only that, but there's so much support for learning Arduino that you can probably find code for what you want to do and just cut and paste it in. So you write your code on your on your Mac or your PC or whatever. You can test it out, and then when you you connect the uh, Arduino board to, to the desktop via USB, you just copy the file over there. And then when you disconnect it, you wind up having this little electronic device that is self-contained. We'll work on tiny little uh, bit of electricity, and we'll just do whatever you want it to do independently, whether it's blink a light or uh whenever someone taps a button ten times but not nine times uh make a make a sound or video or play a video or uh even just uh i've i I have not figured out what I want to do with the window treatments in my new place yet but i keep trying to talk myself out of you know you should buy you can like build like uh like a put an arduino like on a motor and have it automatically activate these uh, uh, activate these motors that will uh, draw the curtains for you automatically at times a day or even connect it to voice control and like andy how how about you just like buy curtains and put them on a stick and hang the stick in front of the window and have curtains instead of getting on this much long no 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 andy don't don't listen to that side. I want you to
0: <laughs> take let your let your geek flag fly, man. I want to see what you do with your window treatments. But this is it, it's like tinkering. It
1: sounds like you know you can tinker. Exactly. It's it's it, it, little kids uh, even in, even in schools have curriculum that will teach them how to build a little robot with an Arduino or again uh, a project like that artists who want to just do like a light wall who, again, they have no experience with electronics and they would, it would take them a long time to figure out how to build a circuit like that on their own. They can just focus on how do I want to express this digital idea and the Arduino will do about 75% of the work for them. They just have to learn how to connect things to it and learn how to code or Maybe even just hire somebody to do that for them, uh, and uh, the amount of stuff you can do—it really is uh, practically limitless. And part of the power is not just in the device itself, but that there's so many robust communities that are helping you to learn. Um, I don't know if you've—I uh, uh, <laughs> don't know if you've uh, gone to uh, Adafruit. Uh, Adafruit.com, uh, which is just such a brilliant site. Yes, they're, they're a store that sells uh, a whole bunch of these controllers. Uh, there are lots of different flavors of these. Uh, Arduino controllers there, there, it's a name for the, it's a collective name for pretty much just the way that you program them as opposed to the device itself. Uh, but not only will they sell you this board, but they'll sell you kits and they'll sell There are videos that will just explain how all this code works and how all these interface things work. Uh, they even make their own special flavors of, uh, of Arduinos. Uh, they have this one called the Gemma, which is about, it's just, it's a circle about the size of a silver dollar. And part of what it's designed to, to to do is to help you make wearables. So if you want to just design a hat that has flashing lights on it and uh, you can build the circuit using conductive threads, so you just literally sew the circuit into the lining of a jacket. And when you tap on a button on the actual button on the on, on the sleeve, that's when that's what turns certain lights on or off. Or that's when it's, it will send a Bluetooth signal to your phone uh, in order to uh, change the volume or something like that. Um, there are other Arduino compatible little things like um, one of my ongoing projects that is kind of stalled because I have hit a roadblock and I didn't have time to solve it is uh, trying to I, I want to get the keyboard from like a really good, a, a fun vintage a uh, computer that I've had for a long, long time. Uh, uh, it's like a what came before the laptop was this wedge of a keyboard plus an LCD screen in front of it. And I kind of want to see if I can get it doing useful things. I can see if I get the keyboard going again. And when I was looking into, well, how can I, can I turn this keyboard uh, out of this old computer into a USB keyboard? And building a USB keyboard is really, really difficult. But with uh, one of these, uh, a different flavor of one of these little Arduino boards, I can just, Wire up the key the key switch matrix into this little board because uh, one of its special tricks is to it can appear to, when you play when you uh, connect this via USB to a host computer like a Mac or a PC. Not only can you write programs for it, but it can also appear to this computer like it's a keyboard, or like it's a USB device. So basically, uh, this little keyboard will be taking key signals from this vintage 1980s keyboard and uh, presenting them to my Mac as though this was a USB keyboard that had been hooked up. This uh, almost every really, every really cool project like this just doesn't start off with, hey, I just listened to this podcast where Andy was was pontificating and going on and on and on about how much he likes these little computers. I'm gonna buy one and for, figure out something to do with it. It really is about what idea do you have for if you had a, if you had an amazing amount of experience and expertise in electronics, what will you build? and then just do a Google search with how do I make a pair of shoes uh, that blinks red when I've got a phone call waiting. And if I click the heels together, we'll turn my lights on. And you will find someone who maybe has not built a pair of shoes exactly like that, but has done something kind of similar so much so that you're like, I'll be darned. (laughs) You know what? This is worth my sending $8 to, to buy one of these little controllers and get to work on this. And there'll be some failure involved, but at the end of this path, you'll have the, those magic shoes that you thought of because there's, it's, it's part of the solution to the problem. It's not this thing that you're doing just to screw around with electronics. Andy, you are not
0: helping me. I just want to you to <laughs> know because like, so I could program this on a Mac. See, I don't know anything about it. I just knew that it existed. I assumed that I had to like go into Unix or something to work with it, but I can work on my Mac
1: with this stuff. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it, it's kind of, you'll get some. will you'll download a free uh, app that's kind of like X, kind of like Xcode for Arduino's, and it's a complete programming environment. I think some of will even just simulate what would happen on uh, on an Arduino board, depending on the model that you that you bought. Uh, and then when it's and it, uh, you can control it live through the keyboard. And then once again, you don't need to keep this thing tethered to your Mac in order to get this new device that you built working. Once you unplug it. There you go. It's completely self-sufficient. As soon as you put power to the board, it will run this one piece of code that you wrote for it and will do what you want it to do. Okay. And
0: then and then you did the mistake of turning me on to Adafruit, dot com, which has all these kits here where you could just like buy a kit and get started if you don't have anything. So just hypothetically, <laughs> hypothetically, if someone listening wanted to just get one of these kits to play
1: around with, what would you recommend? Um, I would again recommend uh, go to Adafruit.com. dot uh, They will sell like an Adafruit. Uh, they they have a device they call the uh, Metro three twenty eight, which is um, it's a it's it's has uh, some extra features that you might appreciate uh, as opposed to some of the simpler stuff that's out there. Uh, but uh, the Metro X, the, the the Metro line of kits, they have. Uh, they they will sell you just a box that has uh, really everything you need to get going. Because uh, if you haven't been tinkering with electronics, you probably don't have resistors and capacitors and LEDs uh, or like a little LCD display or or a motor or or a stepper motor or anything like that. This is this will be a box that has really all that stuff in it plus some ideas of things you can build uh, around it. So none of these things will be. Uh, Taking the taking the place of uh, your desktop computer or whatever thing you might be buying uh, uh, <laughs> at uh, at a, at, a, at a good comp- electronics store, but believe me, the first time that you get uh, the first time you get a stepper motor responding to your <laughs> responding to your commands, the first time you get a, an LED turning on and off at your command, that is pretty heady stuff. Uh, and then when you start to apply this to other ideas where you would like to just have on the door to your office of uh, an animated sign that will just uh, an arrow that points to I'm in a crabby mood. Leave me alone to it's fine. Walk in <laughs> and being able to and how easy it is to just cut some cut, cut a big arrow out of cardboard, attach that to the arm of a servo, knowing that with this cut with this. Code and the simple electronics that uh, are in this, uh, this little lesson instruction, you can actually build that, and it'll be like the coolest office door on the entire floor of your business. <laughs> it's 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 the ability to realize that you could that everything that you use was made by somebody. You know, this phone was made by people. It didn't just it's not it's not a potato that someone just you know shook out of the ground. It was made by people and the just the powerful knowledge that you can be one of these people that makes something that has an idea for something that didn't exist before until you made it and you can make it. Uh, It's whether you're an adult or whether you're a six or seven year old or eight year old kid, that is a powerful transition to make. And this is why I'm so glad that so many kids get to think of electronics, not as expensive stuff that they get for their birthday, but as things that they can make for themselves. Well, I, like I'm looking in here and they've got a kit where you
0: can make a sensor for your garden that tells you when the when the soil is dry I have a garden I live in Southern California but that- that would be useful to me. So, uh, no, this is this is exactly why I didn't want to have you on the show, because <laughs> I'm going to spend a lot of money. No, I th- it's not that much. They've got a starter kit for like thirty bucks. So, uh, gang, go over and check out Adafruit. I, maybe we'll have to talk about this on the Facebook group or something. But yeah, I, uh, I,
1: I I can't say enough about them. So much of the like when the first time that I wanted to make something that was truly like so that I, that would have like a, a rechargeable battery on it. And I'm thinking. Okay, I know nothing about uh, lithium polymer batteries except for they explode if you charge them incorrectly, <laughs> uh, and so I'm starting to look at how to how I can create a. Uh, create a, a circuit that will charge uh, LiPo and make sure it delivers the right amount of power to the device I'm making and then that dead ends pretty quickly because Adafruit will sell you for about 14 or $15 this tiny little board they developed themselves that has a micro USB connector to it and the right places where you hook up a LiPo battery and power output to your Arduino board or whatever and you just put this tiny little postage stamp, find room for this tiny little postage stamp little thing inside the thing you're building and suddenly this is something you just another thing inside your house where you plug in a micro usb cable to charge it and then when you unplug it it will simply power the thing for several hours it's like okay there, there are people out there who want to help me who want me to be successful i i'm not familiar with the situation but i welcome it
0: yes bookmarked bookmarked for the show and for my own uh, perusal <laughs> Now, there's other websites. I guess Arduino has a website, um, arduino.cc, but Adafruit's the one I should be looking at if I want to get started.
1: Uh, It's a good place to start. Uh, You'll find information and advice about uh, Arduino and related, a a much more complicated and much more powerful little board called the Raspberry Pi uh, everywhere. Uh, As a matter of fact, one of the nicest jumping off points is just YouTube because people build things and they want to show off what they built. And oftentimes they'll include a tutorial on how they built the thing that they built. And even just building an entire laptop computer from parts uh, around a Raspberry Pi. And you suddenly think, I would like to build a laptop computer. (laughs) That doesn't look like it would be that difficult or expensive, according to this video. Uh, So it's a good place to get inspiration and at least get a mental roadmap of what's out there, what's needed and what you'll have to learn. Yeah, I, I think that's
0: probably there. Next show we have you back We're going to go to Raspberry Pi that time. But I want to start out with more simple little like unitasker things, but this is a this is a way to go. So so Andy, I I'm very sorry it took us 8 years to get you back, but I'm so glad you had time to come back and talk to us. Uh, we covered a lot of ground today. Uh if someone out there listening would like to kind of follow you, where should they go?
1: Uh you'll have to spell my last name, so that's a bit of a trick. Uh so if you IH and Nancy, AT is and Tom KO, uh I'm not on Instagram, I'm not on Twitter. Uh my personal blog is anotgo.com. Um you can also go to uh the podcast that I do. I uh, co-host MacBreak Weekly every week on the Twit network. I do the Material Google podcast uh on relay.fm. Uh and again I'm on uh, WGBH radio in Boston about every couple of weeks and if you go to wgbh.org uh you'll be able to find Previous shows I've been on. I don't have my own show. I, I just contribute to uh, uh, the Boston Public Radio show. But uh, I think if you Google for, if you do a search for me there, you'll be able to find that stuff.
0: Well, I know Katie just feels terrible. She couldn't be here. She she oh, was here almost to kick it off, but she didn't make it. So, uh, gang, Katie will be back next week. Uh, sans lightning, and uh, Andy. Thank you so much again for coming on the Mac Power Users. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Smile, Gazelle, Eero, and Ulysses. And we'll see you all next week.